Thank you, Ben. Please take a seat. Well, it's great to be here in uh, Jamaroo. And when Jody said, come down and preach, I said, I'd love to. Uh, what are you preaching on? And uh, what would you like me to preach on? He said, you, you can kind of choose a passage. And blank check like that, I said, all right, let's, um, let's go. And I don't know if you're allowed to, are you allowed to have a favourite book of the Bible? If you are, then I, I want to go with um, John's Gospel. And uh, in John's Gospel, one of the reasons I love it is you, you go into so much uh, detail, which is so profound, but also so simple, about who Jesus is and, and what he does. And John is so upfront about what his agenda is. So if, you've, if you're new to the Bible, if you're new to Jesus, if you're not sure where to start, like that question was asking, then um, I do think John is a, is a great uh, place because uh, at the end of John's Gospel, in John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31, um, John just lays out what his agenda is. He says, Jesus did many other things, uh, many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which aren't recorded in, these book, in this book. But these things are recorded so that you might um, believe that he is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life. So, in other words, what he's saying there is, look, there is, Jesus was um, someone that loved uh, John. John spent a lot of time with him. He saw things up close. Uh, and he saw many signs being done. But he didn't record them all. He didn't record everything. But what he did record was like enough. There's enough signs there, enough evidence to show that he really is um, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Uh, and that as you come to understand that, you'll actually have life. And so it's a book which gives life. It's a book which brings you to Jesus and shows you that you can move from, from death to life. And so it's a beautiful book. How about we pray as we look at God's word tonight? Our Father and God, we do ask that you might open our eyes, that we would see Jesus. We thank you for uh, Jesus' uh, grace and beauty. And we ask that as we look at your word tonight, your spirit will be at work to apply these great truths to our heart. Amen. So let's dig in to John chapter 9 and uh, see what it has to say. Um, if you can open it up on a, on a tablet or something like that, or you can follow along on the screen, that'd be great. Even if you've got paper and a Bible, wouldn't that be awesome? Uh, John chapter 9, read verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who'd been blind from birth. <coughs> Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sin or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. And then he spat on the ground and he made mud with the saliva and he spread the mud over the man's eyes and he told him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And Siloam and sent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. It's a really simple encounter in some ways. And you can think about it yourself, picture the scene that, that took place. There they are walking along and they see this man who's been blind since birth. And then the disciples 
very awkwardly kind of say to Jesus, why was this man born blind? Is it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Um, it's weird because like, the guy is not um, deaf, he's blind. And so they, they can hear these really awkward kind of question. Like, let's give a diagnosis and a judgment of, of this guy. Was it his own sin uh, or his parents that's put him into this state? Now, why would they even ask that, let alone kind of say it out aloud? They're, they're obviously just walking along and thinking they can judge this guy and thinking that here is someone who's clearly under the judgment of God. I mean, if he's blind like that, then God must have done it because God's in control of all things and God must have had a good reason for doing it and therefore this guy must have sinned particularly bad that he's been blind since birth. But the thing that throws them a bit and the thing that I think gets them to ask the question is this. If he's been blind since birth, like, did he sin in the womb or something? Was he... sinful before he was even a baby or is it some curse that's come from his parents really bad sin that's been passed down to him because if God has judged him and he's he's been blinded since birth then he must be a particularly bad sinner right now there's all kinds of problems with that way of viewing um, the way the world works and, and God works in the book of Job will answer that question beautifully if you want to do that but Jesus doesn't kind of take that bait he doesn't follow down that rabbit hole to explain what the link is between sin and suffering in this world and that'd be great for another talk another night but instead Jesus comes back at them and says look um, there is it's not about his sin it's not about his parents sin you're on the the wrong uh, the wrong road there he says this has happened so that the power of God can be seen in him. So Jesus sees this same man that they see, but the way he sees them, sees this man, is, is quite different. He says God's power is going to be seen through what happens to this man. And he speaks about an urgency. We've got to carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. Night is coming, no one can work. While I'm here in the world, I'm the light of the world. Jesus, from out of nowhere, seems to be talking about just seeing the, the way that he inhabits the world differently from everyone else. Like normally when you go through life, you just kind of, what you see is what you get. You know, you deal with people here and you can see me, I can see you, we know what's going on. But, but Jesus says, look, there's a really urgent thing happening. Night is coming. And he's not talking about the sun setting. He's, he's talking metaphorically about some darkness which is coming upon the world um, that will be a time when no one can work, but while he's in the world, works can be done. And I think here he's talking about the, the, work, the works he's doing, the science he's doing, the miracles that he's able to do. And he's saying that while he's in the world, he is the light of the world. So here's this just different idea of space and time, that somehow the universe is in a different place when Jesus is walking around. Because when Jesus is walking around, things can happen differently. There's a darkness coming that's facing Jesus, which means that he won't be able to do these things soon. Think about what that might be. But he's saying that here and now, he is the light of the world. Now, frankly... That's pretty weird, isn't it? 
Like, they just asked him an awkward but simple question about why this guy is in the state he's in, and now Jesus is talking about how he is the light of the world. But Jesus has this way of speaking about himself, which is going to sound very weird on anyone else's lips, but makes complete sense when he says it. When he says he's the light of the world and it's time for him to work and he's got to act, it's not just talking big. He immediately follows it up by not a big cosmic thing, but this very human thing to this man in front of him. He spits on earth, he rubs it into the guy's eyes, sends him off. Go to the pool called scent, you know? And as you as you wash there, and as he washes, he comes back seeing. Now, notice that when he comes back, Jesus has leaves the scene. We'll see that in this in this next bit. But Jesus kind of disappears. And so This man, who's just been spat on by Jesus, doesn't actually see Jesus, right? Listen to what it says next from verse 8. His neighbours and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? And some said he was, and others said, no, it just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I'm the same one. And they asked, who healed you? What happened? And he told them, the man they called Jesus made mud, spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed and now I can see. And where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. See, the man comes back to a scene which is almost comic, you know, Um, uh, all his life, he's been known as the blind guy. You know, here he is, the blind guy, the blind kid, the blind man, the blind beggar who sits by the side of the road. Um, And now he's looking at them and he's looking around and he can see everything. He's not wearing glasses, right? His his vision is fantastic. Um, And it makes no sense to them. And so they get into this argument amongst themselves. They're all divided. Like, is this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, some said he wasn't. Some said, no, it just looks like him. So now they're not sure what they're seeing, right? And so you can imagine how this happens. Like, I don't know about you, when I get out at Wynyard and I'm walking down and there's homeless people on the side of the street and they're trying to sell you the big issue and things like that, the last thing I'm doing is making eye contact. I'm just walking past, I know there's blind beggars there or someone, I'm just not even looking, I'm just going past. But if you had to put me on the spot and say, ID this person, was it really the one? I'm not sure, I don't know. Um, And here you've got a crowd divided about whether or not it actually is the guy. Because it's going to be much simpler to explain if it's not the guy. If it's not actually the guy and it's just someone else, then it's just some fake thing that's going on. The much harder thing to believe is that a person who was blind is now able to see. But as they're having this kind of comic argument amongst themselves, Notice who's not getting a say. The guy himself, right? So he pipes up. The beggar kept saying, kept saying, yes, I am the same one. <laughs> it really is me, fellas. You know, um, uh, I am the one who's, who's been healed. And they asked him, who healed you? What happened? And there's not much he can say. He says, like, well, I didn't see the guy. You know, <laughs> like... 
but he's able to say, well, you know, this man that they called Jesus, he, he spat in my eyes and t- told me to go off to the pool. And he recounts what we've just read, you know. Uh, now he washed and now I can see. Where is he now? I didn't see him go, <laughs> you know. How can he answer? I don't know, he replied. Um, so he's, by the way, what an excellent witness, right? He's not telling a bigger story. He's just saying what he's able to say on the basis of what he's heard. He's an ear witness uh, at this point, right? Um, uh, but what they then do is really interesting. So is he kind of starts taking this dark turn. This is not just some abstract kind of discussion about healing. At this point, they take him to the Pharisees. And now these are the religious leaders who will be part of the group that take Jesus to the cross, right? And so the stakes start getting raised and it starts getting darker as he goes through this process, which is almost like an arrest and a a trial. And I think John deliberately has that kind of imagery in mind here. So listen and see what you think from verse 13. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. And the Pharisees asked the man all about it. And so he told them, he put mud over my eyes and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God. He is working on the Sabbath. Others said, how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there's deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who'd been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? And the man replied, I think he must be a prophet. See, um, the Pharisees were the serious Bible guys at the time, right? And they were saying, you've really got to do everything that the Bible's saying and, and uh, you know, a lot more. And, and they'd already been in arguments with Jesus about keeping the, the Sabbath, the Lord's Day. And you can read about that in John 5, 6, 7. That there's been this argument between the Pharisees and Jesus. And now... They have this blind man taken to him and there's this little note there that the healing had taken place on the Sabbath. So they're they're really upset about that. Um, But again, they they question him and once more he repeats the story. He put the mud over my eyes and washed it away and then I could see, right? He's a great witness. Um, But the Pharisees won't accept that. They don't want to hear the, the... Uh, evidence from somebody who's experienced this. Instead, they say, this man, Jesus, is not from God. Their mind already made up. Um, There's a prejudice here. They've already made the judgment about Jesus before the evidence because of the way that Jesus is working on the Sabbath. Or at least some of them have. Others there with them are saying, but how could an ordinary sinner do miraculous signs? So again, you get this division, just like there was a division amongst the neighbours and the friends. This time there's a division amongst the Pharisees. They're arguing one way or the other. And who is it that's not getting listened to? Well, the, the guy who was blind and um, uh, is able to speak. And so that eventually they turn to him and say, what's your opinion? What do you think? And this time he steps it up a notch. Instead of saying, well, it's not just the man called Jesus. This time he says, well, I think he must be a prophet. That's a big deal. For a prophet is someone who is sent from God to speak the word of God, the very thing that the Pharisees here have been denying. Um, To to say that a a, a prophet had come from God is a pretty big thing. And so the Pharisees um, don't want to believe this man who'd been 
who'd been blind. You see that from verse 18. And in this next scene, you see them trying to discount his evidence, his testimony, his witness, um, uh, by saying, you, you know, you're not reliable. They bring in the parents. The Jewish leaders, verse 18, still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see. So they called in his parents and they asked them, one, is this your son? Two, was he born blind? Three, if so, how can he now see? Bang, bang, bang. Why, why are they asking those questions? Well, because if it's not the son, we're back to, we just got the wrong guy. We don't need to worry about this talk about someone being blind who's healed. It's, it's not true. Or was he born blind? Well, if he hasn't been born blind, then it's not the same problem that we're trying to solve here. And three, if so, how can we now see? They're trying to get to this answer here. They're trying to squirm out of the problem that they've found themselves in. And the parents reply, verse 20, we know that this is our son, right? Answer to the first question. We know that he was born blind. Second question. Third question. We don't know how he can see or who healed him. He is old enough to speak for himself. And his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who announced that anyone saying that Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. Is there a note of sadness in that? That the parents don't back up their boy? They're not filled with joy that... The one who'd been blind all his life can now see and their first instinct is to react with fear that they'll be kicked out of the synagogue if they back him up. Why are they not saying, listen to what he's saying, look at, the, look at this Jesus, maybe you've got him wrong. Instead, with fear, they say, ask him. You want to know about Jesus? Don't ask us. Ask, ask, ask him. He is old enough. He's a qualified witness. He can speak for himself. Uh, they're fearful that if they say the wrong thing about Jesus, they'll be kicked out of the synagogue. Synagogue's like first century church. It's where the people of God would meet, would hear the word of God, would pray, would do life together. It looked like this, you know, maybe not with chairs, we'd be standing around, share a meal afterwards, you know, head off and, and do life. But it was where God's people gathered. And to be kicked out of the synagogue is tremendously significant thing, right? Imagine if um, I'd stood up at the start of the night and said, look, I've come here tonight with a really heavy heart, but um, the Archbishop has sent me down here uh, to let you know that Jodie McNeil is going to be removed from ministry. He's been teaching things which are just wrong. He's been saying things about Jesus which aren't true and he can no longer have the role that he has you know and he needs to leave their family needs to leave sorry guys don't cry but everyone else needs to defriend them from facebook to stop eating with them to stop you know it's a big deal to be cut off from the people of god to be shunned like that you know, you can feel the heaviness of just the, imagining that situation. The parents know the reality of it and they say, ask him. Don't put us into that situation. But notice then, it's just throwing it to the son. 
And the son is then in that situation of whether he's going to follow Jesus or whether he's going to say the things that they want to say in order to not be kicked out. It's an awful moment. And so they do. They call him in again. Verse 24. The second time they call in, the man had been blind and they told him, God should get the glory for this because we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. So they're happy to talk about God and his glory, but don't talk to us about Jesus. We've already made our judgment about him. But the man responds again by talking about the evidence. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind. And now I can see. What did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? It's gutsy, isn't it? He's calling out their hypocrisy at this point. And he's saying, really, are you questioning me because you're actually prepared to believe You know, what would it take for you to have sufficient evidence to believe in Jesus? Are your questions really honest ones or are you just wanting to just stay kind of in the dark, stay blind to Jesus? You know, you've made your judgment and he's he's calling them out by saying, tell me what it would take for you to have enough evidence to be his disciples. And they... Curse him. Look at verse 28. They cursed him and they said, you, you are his disciple. We, we're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. We don't even know where this man comes from. And verse 30, this guy does not step back. Look at him, lean into that. Verse 30, why, that's very strange, the man replied. Um, He healed my eyes, yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone being born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. Right? So he's saying, you've just confessed that you're ignorant about Jesus. You don't know where he's come from. And he's saying, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Because... um, God doesn't answer the prayers of sinners, but he does answer those who worship him and do his will. And since the world began, nobody has had this kind of thing happen to them. So he points to the sign, to the miracle, to the work that Jesus has done and said that this is sufficient evidence to know that Jesus has come from God, that he's actually um, not a sinner, but he's come from God. Otherwise, it could not have taken place. And their response, verse 34, is really illuminating. They say, you were born a total sinner. Um, Are you trying to to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. So the very thing that the parents fear now plays out. right? And he is kicked out of the synagogue because of his faithful witness to Jesus. But what I want you to notice is in verse 34, when they say, you were born a total sinner... That is not just like the sledging that takes place in a test match, right? Um, Think carefully about what they're saying here. Isn't it just like what the disciples said? You were born a total sinner. Since birth, 
you've been marked out as a total sinner and your blindness is proof of that. So who are you to be teaching us anything? Now, there's an arrogance there, there's a presumption, um, but just strip that away for a moment and just, just try and understand the claim that they're making. They're saying, you're a sinner, so you can't tell us um, how to find out God and his purposes in this world, right? How do they know he's a sinner? Because he's been born blind. Now, what is the problem with that argument? Why doesn't it work? Except that argument on its own terms, why doesn't it work? It doesn't work for this reason. He's no longer a blind man. This man can see. This man has been brought from darkness to light. And so even if you accept that being blind since birth is a mark of sin, surely the right response would be, well, if now he can see, maybe we'd better figure out how you move from blindness to sight, from darkness to light, from being a sinner to being someone no longer under the curse of God. If Jesus is able to move people from being blind to being able to see, and nobody else can do that, maybe he's able to move people from being in darkness to being in light. Maybe he's able to move people from being under the judgment of God to being blessed by God. Maybe he's able to move people from having sin to having their sin dealt with. But rather than do that, which would be the logical thing according to their argument, they won't listen to him. They're willfully blind. It's like they're, they're closing their eyes to what's in front of their face and they're saying, we've, just, or we've already made our judgment about Jesus and none of that is possible, so we're going to condemn you. And they cast him out. And it's, it's, it's both a moment of terrible um, sadness as you think of this man who is now estranged from the synagogue and from his family and his community, but also a moment of God gloriously at work to bring this guy to, to such a courageous, um, faithful witness to Jesus. It, it is one of those remarkable things that happen when people count the cost of following Jesus and say, I'll do it whatever it takes. Even if I haven't seen him face to face and I believe in him, I've got no choice at this moment and I've got to do it. And, you know, look, it's one of the privileges of my life that I get to meet people through GAFCON circles who, who are doing that um, in moments of, 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 of crisis. And, and Jody and I were across in, in um, Kigali not long ago in Rwanda, and um, I'm sure he brought stories back for you of what he heard there. But, you know, there were people there who... Um, followed Jesus even under the point of a gun where people are saying don't follow him. You know, facing uh, conflict and, and persecution. There were people who's uh, following him whose who's families have been uh, torn in two over whether or not Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah. Um, around the country at the moment, there are churches um, that are divided over this issue of whether... Jesus is the one who must be listened to and followed and whether when he calls people to leave um, sin and blindness and darkness, 
that he is to be followed or whether people really are just quite all right and right with God without Jesus needing to intervene, you know, in that situation. And I know some of you have gone through those kind of things as well. And you know the pain that comes um, in following Jesus. But notice that this is something which has been true from the start. When Jesus comes, he comes as light to a world of darkness. He comes and divides families and synagogues and churches and families that are, you know, wanting to be part of God's people. He's thrown out. But then there's this beautiful moment where, and this is the only moment in the whole Gospel of John where this happens. Jesus hears what happens and goes looking for him. Instead of the crowds coming to see Jesus or a person coming to see Jesus, now Jesus is going and looking for the man. From verse 35, when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You've seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshipped Jesus. Isn't it beautiful? That here is Jesus with just a heart for the blind, for the lost, for the lonely, for the outcast, for the one who's prepared to, to follow him in this way. <laughs> Although Jesus questions him. Like the guy's had enough questions for one day, surely. When Jesus heard what happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? Uh, and that's a tough question. Son of Man is... A, a, you, you've, we, we meet the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7, and the Son of Man is one who is, is human, like Son of Man, right? But he's also, like God, he's given the responsibility to, by God to judge over all the nations. And everyone's going to come before the Son of Man at this final judgment and, and the kingdom of God's going to be established. And the Son of Man is this great figure that um, the prophet Daniel speaks of who is coming. And it's one of the ways that Jesus characteristically speaks of himself is to say that he, he is the, the Son of Man. He's, he's doing this thing, this work of, of um, judgment. Um, but when the guy is questioned on the spot like that, um, he says, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. And look at Jesus' response in verse 37. You have, you have what? You have seen him. Finally, the guy gets to see the one he wants to believe in all along. And Jesus there is there and he says, you've seen him and he is speaking to you. It's the big reveal. Here he is, the revelation being made uh, to this one. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said. And he worshipped him. What's the right way to follow Jesus? Worship him. Treat him like God in the flesh, for that's who he is. Isn't that remarkable to think that Jesus accepts worship? would have been sounded blasphemous to a first century Jew all his life, they would have, you know, had everyone around would have had that expectation. But Jesus knows it's right. Worship me. 
That's a beautiful thing. It's the right thing to do. And look, honestly, if this was a if this was a Hollywood movie at this moment, you'd you'd fade to the sunset, the credits would roll, the curtains would go, and you'd all leave home with a warm you know, go home with a warm glow. It'd be the end of the movie. Isn't that beautiful? Everything's kind of brought to a close. Except this isn't a Hollywood movie. This is like a French movie with this dark twist at the end that completely changes the whole story, and you didn't see it coming, right? Listen to this. Then, verse 39, Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, to show those who think they see that they are blind. Wow. So we get Jesus comes to give sight to the blind. That sounds nice, and we saw that Jesus did that, but... Notice what he says he's actually come to do is do that, but also to give blindness to people who can see. Those who think they can see around Jesus are the ones who are going to find out that they are blind. What does he mean? How do we get this, right? I'll tell you who gets it. The Pharisees. Look at the next verse. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? Yes, he is. Right? Uh, verse 41. If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you remain guilty because you claim that you can see. What Jesus here is saying, there's no problem with being blind. <laughs> you know, problem is, is not being blind. The problem is not being in darkness. Problem, problem is not sin. Jesus comes to a world which is blind, which is in darkness, which is in sin. You know, there's no problem with coming to Jesus saying, oh, I'm all of those things. I'm under God's judgment. I'm, I've had a life of sin. I'm blind and, I, you know, I, I deserve... I, uh, there's no way I can see my way out of this problem, right? I, I just can't do it. Jesus has always encouraged people to come to him who are, who are blind, who are, who are weak, who are sick, who are unable to save themselves, who need a physician. You know, all these images which are given, it's all about being weak and helpless and um, in darkness and even dead, right? That's excellent, right? If you can come to Jesus and you say, I've got a bigger list of sins than anyone you know and I deserve God's judgment and there's nothing I can do to save myself, you're the perfect kind of candidate that Jesus is looking for, right? That's, that's fantastic because he's really good at moving people from darkness to light from death to life, from blindness to sight. You know, he's able to do that and he proves it here with this guy. But the people who can't be saved are the people who are saying they don't need to be saved. The people who are saying, I can see very well. The people who are saying, I'm very strong and I don't need a doctor, I'm quite healthy. The people who are saying, I don't really have a problem with sin but I'm quite happy to diagnose it in others, you know. Um, Jesus is saying your claim to be able to see is the problem here. Your claim to be able to see means you think you're standing in the light. You think you're standing in a position where you can offer judgment about who I am, who Jesus is. And Jesus is saying you can't because you fail to see that you yourself are blind. You yourself are under the same darkness, under the same death, under the same judgment. This world is under judgment. The only hope for it to move out of it is Jesus.
Right? And so the Pharisees, the religious ones who would judge this man and judge Jesus, it's that, it's that very act of judgment that will condemn them. And so when Jesus is explaining this to them and pointing out their blindness, it's actually him being kind to them. He's actually not leaving them thinking they're okay with God, but saying it's a very dangerous game that you're playing and it's one that will um, actually leave you blind, even if you don't see it. And let me tell you, friends, that that word from Jesus still speaks today. You know, we either accept what he's saying and recognise that we're, we're blind and we need him to give us sight, or we think that we can judge Jesus. It's a very dangerous thing to start reading the Gospels and to start looking at Jesus and his claims because you realise that Jesus starts reading us. As we want to judge Jesus, we find that he's the one who's, who's judging us. And at that point, we either say, well, you can't do that. I'm going to judge you. Or you come before him in humility and brokenness and look to him for the only hope that you have. So which is it to be? Are we going to come as blind people and not be guilty? Or are we going to remain guilty because we claim to see? Jesus just will not leave a middle path there. You know, there's, there's no middle space um, for Jesus. So it's a confronting word. And, and it's one which I, I kind of don't bring to you lightly. And if you want to come to me afterwards and say, ah, I, don't, I don't think it's saying that. I, I think you've got that wrong. I'm very happy to talk to you, you know. But I don't want to back away from what I think the text is saying pretty clearly here. So if you don't know Jesus, let me say, let's go back to where we started, John chapter 20. This book of John's gospel is written so that you can. There's enough evidence here for you to believe that it really is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing in him, you can have life. You can have this same movement that this guy had. It might cost you everything you have. Following Jesus might cost you family and relationships and all sorts of pain, but it'll be worth it. And if you are someone who's, who's done that and is following Jesus, I'm, I'm guessing there's a lot of people in the room who are in that kind of boat, I, I say this guy should be an absolute hero for us. For here is a guy who didn't see Jesus and yet believed in him, didn't see him with his eyes and yet looked forward to the time when Jesus came and sought him out. It's a model of what Christian living's about. And in the meantime, what does he do? He witnesses faithfully to him. Not that he's able to say everything, but he's able to say things which are true and he's able to persevere and to stand his ground and even when family fail him, even when the, the kind of synagogue around him fails him, he's able to hold on to his hope in the one who, who changed him, who brought him from darkness to light. And the other thing to see here, I think, is to see that Jesus really does make this difference. Sometimes we just kind of walk along through life and like the disciples at the start, we kind of ask the wrong questions and make the wrong judgments and don't see things as they are. And Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. 
You either get that or you don't. You've either come to him and see that he is the light of the world and you're not, or you don't. Um, and so let's be people who recognise just how wonderful it is that God graciously steps into this world of darkness in the person of Jesus, saving people who could not save themselves. As we read through John's Gospel, we see that that takes place by him um, going to a cross and taking on the sin of a world that was set against him. It's remarkable. And now he sends his people out into the world and says, there's a time when I'm coming again. A time when you'll see me face to face. A time of the judgment of the, of the Son of Man. So let's live for that one who is the light of the world. The one who's able to, with such grace, bring people from darkness and blindness to light and to sight. Amen. Amen. We're going to do something. I've got no idea what. <laughs>